0: Life is all about choices. You made a choice to come to church today. Uh, kudos for you for coming. No, no condemnation for those who didn't come. Um, I totally get it. I totally understand. But you made a choice uh, to come. In spite of the virus that's in our county, uh, in our possibly in our neighborhoods, it's maybe even in our school, you made a choice to come to church. You made other choices today, though, didn't you? Anybody here choose what i was going to eat for breakfast? No. I made a choice on whether I was going to eat breakfast, what clothes I was going to wear. Uh, you're going to make more choices this afternoon. You're going to choose how am I going to spend my afternoon. Today we're going to be looking at 1 John. We're concluding the first of the chapter 5 of 1 John. Next week we get a to move into Habakkuk. I'm very excited for that. Um, but we're going to cl- close with this call to choose life. Now we're not talking about the life as in, the life of the unborn versus, uh, not pro-life or pro-choice, even though that's a good choice to make, but we're talking about uh, the the choice of life, the fact that you have chosen eternal life. Uh, Then we're going to look at how we need to pray for life for our brothers, which I was telling Darren today, this hammered me today. It hammered me this week. I was not prepared for what I was going to get talked to by God about that. And then we're going to look at choosing life, From God uh, as he is intended for us to live for ourselves. So 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 to 21. um, I'm going to read that. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to look into this. 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 to 21. It says, I write these things to you. Who believe in the name of the son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. Verse 16 says, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Verse 20, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. God, I, I, there's so much in here to look at and to discuss, and we're, we're not even going to uh, dive into all these little things. And I know that you can speak to us just through the reading of the word. And God, I pray that you, as you speak through me, uh, that it would be you speaking, uh, that you would help each of us to hear from you exactly what we need to hear. I know that you've already hammered me with part of this uh, this week, and I just pray for a gentle reminder to each one in here who might need to hear it as well. Give me your words to say, I pray this in Jesus' name. So the first thing we're going to be looking at is that we have eternal life. Uh, Verse 15 or 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Throughout this letter, uh, we haven't made a big deal of pointing this out, but throughout this letter, John has been writing to friends. He has been writing to children. He's writing to people who has a, a connection with more than just an everybody kind of person. It's people that are lumped into what he would consider part of the family of God. Uh, throughout this letter, and in chapter 2, verse 3, he's writing to them to say that you can know that you have eternal life. That's one thing, how he's, how we know that he's addressing people who he believes as believers. Uh, verse Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, uh, I write these things to you who have your sins forgiven on account of Jesus' name. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And chapter 2, verse 28, he he urges them to continue in him. So he's looking at these people at this point in this letter from the vantage point that they are believers in Jesus. And so for the next few moments, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this the way John is putting this and look at it and say, you guys are all believers. You have all put your faith in Jesus. Uh, I'm just going to assume that, and for everybody who's watching, possibly online, I'm going to assume if you've been to this church, that you are, a believer in Jesus. Because we've had opportunity for people to come forward, and nobody ever has, which is fine. We've, we've had opportunity where people could call or text or email, and nobody ever has to say that I need Jesus. And so we've been here for about four years, and I'm going to assume for a while that everybody here knows Jesus, just as if John is assuming that everybody who is writing to, knows Jesus. Now, obviously, there are people in that church who could be faking it. There could be people who are searching for answers, and that could be the case here as well. But for a while, we're going to look at, the point and, or look at it from the viewpoint that you guys all have put your faith in Jesus for salvation. Those people were sinners in need of a Savior. They put their faith in Jesus, and Jesus gave them eternal life. And it's something that they are going to get to keep. Uh, we, we looked at this before. We're going to look at it a little bit again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the fact that we have eternal life and the fact that we get to keep it, well, that's one verse, chapter 5, verse 13. Where else is this in the Scripture? John ten twenty eight to 29, he says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. You get this idea that this is forever and ever. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. He's saying once you are part of God's family, you're in his hand. You have Nothing can take you out from the presence of God, out of God's hands. You can't jump out. Nothing else that you do can keep you from being a part of God's family if you have put your faith in him. You have eternal life. Romans eight thirty-eight to 39 uh, the end of it says, nor anything else in all creation is going to be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nor height, nor depth, nor things past, nor things present, nor the future, nor things to come, anything like that. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God, which means you have what? Eternal life. You have eternal life. It is going to last forever and ever. Verses 14 and 15, I, I'm, I'm not going to look at this from the, we're, we're going to kind of just skip over this part. Uh, we're going to look at it a little bit, but it, it talks about how this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask Him for anything according to His will, He hears us. And we can spend a whole message right there on, on how do I pray, and how do, what does it mean that God's going to give me what I ask of Him. We've looked at that before in the past with, with, and with opportunities to talk about prayer. So we're not going to focus on that, except where I do want to mention two things about this. One is that, uh, well, I guess maybe three things. One is that, you know, God answers prayer. God is listening. When you pray a prayer, it is not falling on deaf ears. We might feel like that, like it's not getting any farther than the ceiling. But guess what? God's inside the ceiling. God's inside here, so he hears those things. God is always going to listen to your prayer. God may not answer things according to your timing. He may not answer things according to what you want. And I know from experience we all can stand up and say, I remember when I prayed and God did not answer what I wanted when he wanted. Otherwise, this church would be full. Otherwise, the virus would be gone. Otherwise, it would be pouring rain right now if God answered what we wanted when we wanted him to. But God is listening. God cares. God has a reason for what he's doing and why. But when we look at this fact that God answers prayers uh, when we pray, uh, God answered that prayer to give us eternal life. You have eternal life, you prayed a prayer, and God answered that prayer. But God also answers a prayer when we pray for other people that God would give them life. And that's point number two, is to pray for your brothers that God would give them life. Verses 16 and 17. It says, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, Um, He should pray to God, and he will give him life. I refer to those sin who does not lead to death. There is a sin that does not lead to death. I'm saying that he should not pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. And I know that gets kind of confusing, sounds kind of redundant, but you get this idea that I am supposed to pray for my brother. Now, when you look up the word brother in the Greek, it, it can mean a couple of different things. One, it could just mean fellow man. So we can have my neighbor across the street, is not my brother in Christ, he's just another human being, I can look and say, I can pray for my neighbor. If I see him do something wrong, I am supposed to pray for him. But I can also pray for you, who I'm going to assume are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and pray that God would give him life. And what do we mean by life? Well, it could, be mean, it could mean like a physical life, that we're living and breathing. God, I realize, Josh, I realize, Noah has done something, please keep him going, keep him living, right? Physical life, but it can also mean life that is real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God. If you, if you happen to get your bullet, a bulletin in this week, it has the definition on the back. Uh, something that's good to remember uh, throughout the week. It's life that's real and genuine, that's active and vigorous, devoted to God. Because the sin in our life, it messes things up. We have, a re- we have this relationship with God because we're part of His family, but it breaks that fellowship that we have with God. When somebody else sins, there's a brother in Christ, it breaks that fellowship with Christ as well. <clears throat> and the sin, the sin that we have, you know, it's, uh, from time to time, we, I think we all enjoy the opportunity to sin. Uh, Hebrews 11.25 talks about sin being enjoyable for a moment. And I will admit, at times, I have chosen to sin because I thought this is exactly what I wanted. I get to do or to say or to experience something that I shouldn't for a moment, and I think that's going to make me happy. I just flat out choose to do it, and that is not, obviously, that is okay. And it's something that is not beneficial. It's not something that I live long and say, boy, I'm sure glad I did it. You know, when I, when I do something that I shouldn't do, I start to feel all sorts of negative feelings. I start to feel guilt. I feel bad. I regret what I did. I feel like a failure. I knew from experience before I did whatever, or said whatever it was, that I was eventually going to feel bad about doing that. I experience shame. If you, if you don't have your bulletin, you know, I experience the shame, because uh, this isn't your bulletin, that's why I brought up the bulletin, uh, but I experience shame. I, I do. I don't want anybody to know what I did, you know, this guy here. He's up in heaven and he says now playing in the theater of heaven Bill's life, right? If my life was to be shown and it involved the sin in my life, I don't want to see that. And I don't (laughs) definitely do not want you to see that either. That's why I experience guilt. I experience shame. All this this sin that I thought I was going to enjoy uh, and, and that sin that I do, it impacts other people. We looked at. Uh, recently, uh, about when we were looking at praying for a nation, about the decisions that I make and affect my life. You know, students who study hard for a test, they go to school and they ace that test. The person who doesn't study goes to school, unless they're just a whiz, they flunk that test, and they experience the effects of what their own decisions were. We had a picture of, of the wine and the alcohol for the, the parent who drinks, and that the baby just has to... It, take in whatever the mom gives them, and they're dealing with the consequences of somebody else's actions. And so when I choose to sin, the sin in my life, it impacts me, but somehow it impacts other people. And John's talking about two different categories of sin. He's talking about sin that does not lead to death, and he's talking about sin that leads to death. Now, if you notice, um, it doesn't give us any examples of what that sin is that is going to lead to death or sin that is not going to lead to death but we know from experience i i you can look at me as an example and say you know what josh it's just admitted that he sinned and he did not die right i have not died even though i did things wrong uh we have seen our brothers and sisters in christ people in our own family committed sin and they did not die how many of you have ever walked down the hallways of school kids or walked down the the hallways at work And hear an employee or another student rant rant and rave some of profanity. Something that was offensive to God's ears. Did they go walking down the hall and all of a sudden just kill over dead? No. We might like that, but that's not what what happened, right? They're still going. Have you ever watched somebody speed past you and then meet them at Walmart? uh, Because they're still living. Or have you ever heard about people in the news who did some terrible, awful crime and it's publicized across the whole nation and they're a brother in Christ, but yet they are still moving around, right? Obviously, not every sin is going to lead to death. And, um, and obviously, either this church is full of perfect people or not every sin leads to death because we are still here, right? We are still living, we're still... Um, Functioning, we're here even here today because not every sin leads to death. But when we see our neighbor, our brother in Christ, sin, we're supposed to pray for them. Now what are we supposed to pray? Because it doesn't say specifically what is it that we're supposed to pray for our brother in Christ when we see them sin. I came up with a few ideas, and maybe you will have something better you can tell me later uh, about what your ideas are. Um, First, I would say we should pray that God will forgive them. And that's an example that you find in the Bible. Stephen, when he's getting stoned, he says, he says he wasn't praying for his brothers in Christ, but he was praying, God, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so you find an example of somebody in the scriptures that is praying for other people. When I see my brother in Christ's sin, I can pray that God would help them to be aware of it, that they would confess that sin, that they would repent, that they would turn from doing that sin. And we can pray that they would overcome that temptation in the future. Um, whatever it is that they're doing that they, they you can tell that they want to say that, or when, when they want to speak, you just say, "God, you know what? Josh is, he's got this mouth. Josh's got this leg. foot. Josh has whatever problem it is, next time Josh wants to do that, please stop him from doing that." These are some simple prayers that we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And probably something that we all need at some point in our life of somebody to pray for us. But what do we want to do? Anybody, when when you see somebody uh, sin, I want them to get justice, right? I want somebody to get what they deserve. And this is where I had a really tough week. Uh, Because I tell you what I want to do. I want to punch the guy in the mouth. I want to go give this guy what I think he deserves. The last thing I want to do I'm not going to pray that this guy gets punishment. The last thing I want to do is pray that God's going to forgive this guy. The last thing I want to do is pray that this guy repents. The last thing I want to do is pray that this guy turns from the temptation in his life the next time. Uh, Something going on in my family home back in Davenport. I won't give you any more details than that, just because someone from Davenport might be listening. Uh, Somebody has hurt somebody in my family. And uh, I'm a big brother, and I want to go let somebody have it, what they deserve. And God started talking to me this week about, what is it that I want you to do? I want you to pray for them. And so I, I, I sat, I mean, I couldn't believe it, how God was, I mean, I've read this passage before. never thought anything of it, except for yet yeah, we're supposed to pray for them, and okay, I know where that, where that verse is located. But I sat there for a while, and I had this burning in my chest, like this is not something that I want to do, and I came down here, Sometimes I will walk around here and I'll pray and I'll think, and I just sat in the back pew for a while. And finally, I was like, "Okay, God, I'm going to pray for this person." It's ex- it's totally not in my norm. It's not what I want to do. I'm not going to pray for, for an e- for um for an enemy easier than that than a brother in Christ who's or someone who claims the faith and is acting that way. Then on Friday, I had to do the same thing. I'm sitting up in the balcony this time, just sitting there like this is not something that I want to do. But I did, and I'm, I'm going to have to continue to do this. I'm going to pray, I have to pray that God forgives this person, that this person repents, that this person overcomes the temptation to be the jerk he was before to a family member. It's very, very difficult. But that's what God has asked me to do. And I don't know if there's somebody in your life that you feel the same way about, that if you, if you had the opportunity to let them have it, that you would, you would feel the way that I do. But we have to pray for them. Pray that God would give them life. Very, very difficult words, uh, in my opinion. So sin, sometimes it doesn't lead to death. I wish it would, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, though, there is sin that does lead to death. And once again, he doesn't say what that sin is. If he would have said, you know what, that guy who committed murder, uh, that that brother in the Lord who committed murder, he deserves to die. I think we all could say, yeah, I get that. He sinned. He killed somebody. He deserves to die. If he would have said, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin that's found in Matthew 12.31, we could say, yeah, that makes sense. This guy deserves to die. He's not going to heaven anyway. If, if he said, that guy who walked away from the church who is never going to come back, he deserves to die because he's never going to come back to the Lord, we could say, okay, I get it. That makes sense to me. But all he says is there is a sin that does not lead to death, and we have no idea what it is. And the fact that he says there is no, no specific sin, I mean, he doesn't list what it is. Maybe the thought behind that is he's not going to, we, we're not going to be able to know what sin that is. There are certain times sin does lead to death, and sometimes it does not lead to death. So maybe what we should just be doing is we should just be praying for our brothers in Christ, praying for the outside world all the time because we don't know what sin is going to lead to death. Uh, you guys know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They were people who people were selling land, donating it to the church, and or the money to the church. And Ananias and Sapphira said, "Hey, let's do it too, but we'll keep some of it back for ourselves. We'll just say it's all of it. So we're just going to lie about it. You know, a lot of people have lied." and I'm still living and breathing. And Ananias and Sapphira lied, and they died. And so you, you don't know what possibly what sin that is, that God's going to say, okay, Josh, that's enough. So there you get the idea that maybe we should just always pray for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ when we do see them doing something wrong. We should pray for our, our fellow man that they would have life, that they would, have, they, they would keep breathing, but also that they would come to have Eternal life as well. So we talked about the fact that you have salvation. Why do you have salvation? Because you made a choice to trust Jesus as your Savior. Now I'm asking you to choose to pray for your brother that they might have life. And now we're going to see that we're going to choose this life for ourselves. Choose life for yourself. It's this idea of a life that's real and genuine, a life that's active and vigorous. Verse 18 and 19. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, I've already admitted that I sin on purpose sometimes. Does that mean that I'm not a child of God? No. I mean, because everybody chooses to, but it's like I can't go about it as if it's not a really a sin. God hammers me with it, right? He says, Josh, that's not okay. The Holy Spirit's living inside of me. It's convicting me that I am a child of God and I need to stop. I have all this guilt. I have all this shame. I have all this pressure to stop doing it because I am a child of God. Uh, we, we looked at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, if anyone claims to be without sin, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. Not one of us can look and say that I am the exception, that I was able to quit sinning. And verse 9 talks about confessing our sins if we've sinned and God is willing to forgive us because we have all sinned. What we're looking at here is, in verse 19, uh, we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. <clears throat> now what does it mean that the whole world is under the control of the evil one? Well, he has influence. He has uh, He has his ways of causing and wreaking havoc. He has his way of getting what he wants accomplished, which is completely contrary to what God wants. And a lot of times, people are happy to go with that because they think that sin is fun for a while. They think the world's view of what life is all about is what I want for my life, uh, for what I want my life to be about. But we don't have to go with what the world says. We don't have to go with what sin says is going to make you happy. You have everything on your side that you need if you are going to succeed. Because it says the evil one cannot harm you. The evil one cannot touch you, cannot fasten, he cannot adhere to you. So in other words, you cannot be possessed by a demon or by the devil who's going to control and make you do certain things. I, I knew, I've known people like that who believe that a Christian could be demon-possessed. And a couple of verses we're going to look at kind of help prove that. And for the moment, I'm going to say, you know, praise the Lord that they thought that, because one girl I, I liked. I, I If we could get past that point, she would have been a girl that I would have married. Uh, but we could never get past that point. I could never convince her that wasn't true. So now I have Leslie for my wife, which, praise the Lord for God working things out in ways that we don't see and things that don't make sense, because now I have Leslie, which... It's obviously a better choice, but at that point in my life, I didn't know that. But people think that you can be demon-possessed as a Christian. God has other words to say about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit living is living in you? God's not going to say, Here, Holy, uh, Josh, you can have a Holy Spirit on this side and a demon on this side. The Holy Spirit is not going to give in any part of himself. To let something else control you. He's not going to push the Holy Spirit out. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Second Corinthians one twenty-two. Uh, he set his seal of ownership on you. He, he put something inside of you, the Holy Spirit, that says, you are mine. You put your faith in Jesus, you are mine, and nothing is going to take that. And it's a guarantee of what is going to come. So the, the the devil, a demon, can't get inside of you and control your body. If you're going to sin, it is going to be your choice. It's not going to be some demon causing something inside of you to happen. But the evil one, the evil one can do lots of different things to make your life miserable. Uh, the evil one can tempt you. You guys know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He... He disguised, he, um, Satan decided, disguised himself as a serpent, and he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden with the fruit, or Eve, and she ate it and gave it to Adam. So he can tempt us. Um, this is the Ananias and Sapphira story. They were, it says in Acts 5 that the, the Satan has so filled your heart that you chose to, to choose what, uh, what you wanted instead of what God wanted. It was a temptation. Satan tempted Jesus three different times with some bread. He took him up on a mountain. He took him up on a temple and said, this is all going to be yours if you worship me. And so if, God, if Satan is willing to tempt Adam and Eve and just regular people and he's willing to tempt uh, Jesus, who else do you think he's willing to tempt? Us, right? He's willing to tempt me. I'm not any, I'm not, I don't have more willpower. I'm not any different. I'm not any more special. He says it worked back then. I'm going to do the same thing to Josh. So Satan or his demons can tempt me to sin, but I don't have to give in because that that Satan or the the demons are not living inside of me, making me do that. the The devil can influence our decisions. In Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty three, uh, this is when Jesus is or is saying, "I'm going to go and I'm going to be crucified." And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, uh, it's not going to be you. Whatever it takes, we're going to kind of stand by your side and." Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You don't have the things in your mind. Uh, the, uh, you do not have in your mind the things of God, but the things of man. He was influenced by the devil. He was influenced by Satan doing something or putting these thoughts in his mind. And he was going with that. He didn't have to give in to that, but he chose to. The, the, Satan is very big and very powerful. He's not just some little cartoon character with his pitchfork and his big red tail and pointy ears. He's a real and living force out there, but we don't have to give in to what he's going to do. Satan can afflict us. Job, um, he, was, he was afflicted by Satan. He had everything. He had all the, the kids, he had the land, he had the animals, and, say, and Satan goes and talks to Jesus and, or to God, and God allows him to afflict uh, Job with problem, with taking away all these different things. and ultimately. Physically, on Job's life, the only thing was he couldn't take Job's life completely. God gave him parameters or boundaries, and he says, I'm going to push it to the very edge to take care of Job, to to make his life miserable. He can't, but he could not do anything more than what God allowed him to do. And God um, isn't going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Satan's going to try to tempt you, he's going to try to put thoughts in your mind, he's going to try to influence you, but he can't do anything more than what God allows, and God's not going to allow more than what you can handle. God's always going to prepare a way out. When I want to go somewhere, there's another way. If I want to say something, there's something else I can say. If I want to do something, there's some other direction that I can go. God's always going to provide a way out. It's not going to be easy. Right, the temptations that we face are common to man. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2.11, it says our sinful desires which war against our soul. The sinful desire in me wants to win more than uh, a football team wants to win against another team. More than the Republicans or Democrats want to beat each other. More than uh, one nation fighting against another nation wants to win. I have this war going inside my body uh, the sinful desire wanting to succeed but it won't succeed unless I let it. Because I don't have the the Satan living inside of me that's forcing me to. And God's providing a way out. He's not going to let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. So Satan only has so much power, but then sometimes I pick it up and I keep going because I choose to do something that I'm not supposed to do. So we make decisions all the time. You guys made a decision to come here. You made a decision on what you're wearing. You're going to make a decision this afternoon on how you're going to spend it. Am I going hunting? Am I going to watch a football game? Am I going to take a nap? What am I going to have for lunch? And I, and I want to come back here to this, this idea of you chose eternal life. Well, I don't know if you have or not. I mean, I, I can look at you and say, you're here. I assume that you did. I mean, people watching on, the, on this YouTube video, the fact that you're watching, I could assume that you have eternal life, but I don't really know. John's writing to people he is convinced is believers in Christ, and I can be convinced of that, that you are believers in Jesus. But it's it's not my choice to make. It's your choice to make if you're going to trust Jesus as your Savior. So I want to encourage you to make sure that you do know Jesus as your Savior. Second thing I want to do is encourage you to make sure that you pray for life for your brothers. If you see your brothers in Christ do something that they are not supposed to do, or you hear about something that they did that they are not supposed to do, We naturally want to go tell everybody. You know, I want to I want to blab to you my whole story of what somebody did to to someone in my family. But God's not asking me to do that. He's asking me to pray for this guy. And so I want to encourage you, instead of telling everybody, pray for that person. And then I want to encourage you to live the life that God intended you to live, a life that is active, it's vigorous, it's devoted to God, a life that's going to make sense. The world's going to tell you something else matters. God says living for Him is what really matters. So please make sure that you have eternal life. Please make sure you pray for life for your brothers. And please make sure that you live the life that God has intended for you to live as well. Nothing else in this world is going to matter except for what we do for Jesus. Father God, I thank you for your grace. thank you, God, for your patience. God, you know that we are fallible people. I, I admit it, God. I am a sinner that screws up all the time, sometimes on purpose. Sometimes without even thinking about it, God. And I'm sorry. I thank you, God, that you are patient, that you haven't taken my life uh, because I've sinned. God, I I just pray for for this brother in Christ of mine that he needs to repent, he needs to be able to fight this temptation in his life. I just pray that you would give him life, give him forgiveness, help him to recognize where he's wrong so that he can make the right choices. And God, I, I know that you have a life That you want me to live a life that's vigorous and active and excited for you. And God, I pray that you would help me to live to my full potential, to my full spiritual potential of what life that you want me to live. God, for everybody in here, again, I just pray that you would bless them for coming. Bless them with a good afternoon Mm -hmm. and just with a good week. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.